Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Miss Sophie. Welcome back to another week of Beyond the Bump. How are we feeling? It's good to be back. It's good to be here. It's been a whole seven days and we're back. (laughs) And I haven't ditched you yet. (laughs) You're welcome. How are you? I'm really good. I feel like the girls were finally back properly at daycare this week. Obviously, there was a public holiday in the middle of the week, so they couldn't go to daycare that day. But I feel like we're finally getting back into the groove of like care and Nick and I spending some time together and having time for work and not trying to juggle everything like while looking after the kids, which is kind of what the start of January was like. Uh, But as always, January has flown by. But yeah, feeling good. I'm feeling really positive about the year. I feel like I'm finally coming out of that holiday (laughs) mode where I was basically moving backwards. (laughs) Hello, welcome. Welcome back. But still feeling relaxed, which is good. How about you? Oh, that's so good. Do you have any lows? Lows of the week are that Nick and I have just got to the point this week where we are so over Poppy being in our bed. We go from week to week. Like sometimes we're like, oh, it's really nice. Like the cuddles are so lovely. Being so close is so nice. And then the next week we'll flip and we'll be like, I can't handle this anymore. Yeah. Anyways, we've just got to put up with it with where we're living right now because we just don't have enough bedrooms, but we're hopefully moving into our new house in March and that is when we are going to really make an effort to obviously not, like we don't want to traumatise her and just like pop her in her room and leave (laughs) her, but, you know, really gently hopefully get her into her own bed. I hope she's just stoked on her room. She's getting a new bed. It's pink. Like I'm like, come on, if that doesn't get you to sleep in it, I don't know what will, but it was very scary. Nick said to me yesterday, yeah, he said to me yesterday he goes oh you know it only takes like 27 or 28 days to build a habit and I'm like oh my god never say that to me again (laughs) that sounds like hell yeah but highs of this week was everyone's love for last week's episode we got so much funny banter and so many people being like phew I'm not alone in not feeling super spicy in the bedroom and yet just so much funny feedback from that. So if you haven't listened to our episode from last week on spicing up your sex life, there's actually quite a lot of overlap between what we discussed last week and kind of what we discussed this week with mum rage. Like so much of it it? is about like having your cup full, having time for solitude, all of that. Um, It really intertwines. Mm. And another high is that, I mean, it also intertwines. Nick and I took the time to have a date day this week. And I know that is a complete luxury having a day off together where both the girls are at daycare. I know that like, you know, is not feasible or possible for everyone, but it was so nice to have a date during the day because it went for longer. 
I feel like it's funner to do something together than always just like go out for dinner or whatever. And, you know, you're like kind of checking the clock like, oh, my God, I'm so fucking tired. Like I kind of can't be bothered talking to you right now. So anyway, if anyone can get out there and do a date day, whether it's like during the week or on the weekend, if you get a babysitter or childcare or a grandparent or whatever, it was seriously so much fun. Yeah. What were your highs and lows? Well, I'm glad you had heaps of highs. That's so good. I We do heaps of date days. Well, we like used to do heaps of them and we re- try and do once a month. You're like, like, Sophie, we'll that is motor- so 2021. Like, <laughs> that is so 2018. Yes. <laughs> that's 2007. <laughs> nah. It's so nice though to do something that's like out in nature and like, I don't know, you feel like, you feel like you're on a mini holiday or a vacation like just for that time mm. because you're actually not just going to dinner and then feeling sleepy, so it's really good. I totally get what you're saying. So highs are that these are my future highs because I've had a pretty streamlined <laughs> week this week, but um, my future highs are that we are going on a three-day health retreat next week, just my husband and I, and we cannot bloody wait. Oh, keep you all updated. Where are you going? So we're going to Eden Health Retreat and we are doing, there is no, like there's only Wi-Fi at the top of reception. So it is pretty much just no alcohol. It is all, everything's like you get fed everything. It's all health. There's yoga. You can do astrology. You can hike. You can go to a waterfall. You can get massages. It's pretty much just, it's either going to make us or break us. Like, we're all good. <laughs> I was like, it we're could all be happy. beautiful or it could be torture. <laughs> and we're all happy and healthy, except someone says, oh, that'll be so nice for you guys. And I'm like, yeah, you know what, though? Sometimes when you spend so much time together and you haven't done it for so long, you could end up going, fuck, we've got nothing in common, but no, we'll be fine. Can I tell you, we did quite an intense health retreat pre-kids in New Zealand and it was it was quite an intense one where the hikes you did each day were pretty intense all the food was raw vegan there wasn't a lot of it there wasn't a lot of food and we were like oh we'll be sweet like because a lot of people's main issue when they go is withdrawing from sugar and we were like oh we don't eat a great deal of sugar like we'll be sweet Anyway, the thing that got us was the coffee withdrawals. I think ours was five days and it was intense. And we went to go on a hike one day and neither of us could. We spent the entire day vomiting and nearly shitting ourselves. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks for all your highlights of what I'm about to (laughs) look forward to. once, Once we were over that hill, we felt fucking amazing. But I was like, have we drunk too much like fennel seed tea? or whatever it is. I think we were drinking so much tea because we were hungry (laughs) and then paired with the coffee withdrawals, we just both ended up like shitting and vomiting. But I'm sure you'll be fine. You'll have a beautiful Thanks. You're so so, um, supportive. No, I think ours has, it's not as extreme. It's not vegan. Um, No offense to anyone that is vegan, but it is, they really tailor to your lifestyle and what you like we had to have a phone call on what we want to focus on and what we need out of it yeah so 
the biggest thing is I feel like I've already like revved myself up to go into this because I've sort of already changed my lifestyle to minimizing sugar and minimizing coffees and doing like minimizing alcohol. So I feel like I'm really ready. Hopefully my husband is because otherwise I'm going to have to deal with the downfall. (laughs) But no, it'll be good. I'll keep you posted. There's no lows at all, so we'll move on straight into mum hacks. Go, Soph, tell us what you've got. Yeah, we're going to be quick this week because it's a bit of a longer episode, but this one got sent in last night and I was laughing. It's kind of harsh. It's kind of a rude or fabulous and it's kind of a mum hack and I love it. Hey, guys, I've got a mum hack slash rude or fabulous for you. My 13-month-old doesn't like getting his nappy changed. So when I need five minutes to myself, I just hold a nappy up and he runs in the other direction (laughs) and plays independently for a while. I may or may not do it multiple times a day. Also love the podcast as always. (laughs) What an absolute legend. That is great. I love that. That is fabulous. That is a mum hack. And it's similar to how people say that like there's something down the drain of the bath and then so every time they pull the plug, it's the easiest way to get your kids out of the bath because, yeah, I I got onto that far too late, but next child I'll make (laughs) sure I put the fear of God into them. Yeah, 100%. And this episode is one of my absolute favorites. As you said before, it ties into last week's episode. We speak about so many incredible, important topics that kind of don't get spoken about enough as usual. So what did you think so? If we spoke to Yara from Life After Birth Psychology, she's a psychologist who specializes in women during pregnancy, but especially postpartum dealing with, you know, identity changes and becoming a mother. And we spoke mainly on mum rage, but I think it shows that it filters into every Mm. aspect of being a mum or being a parent. Yeah. I love everything she has to say. So we hope you guys love this. As always, we hope you come away feeling less alone with more information and maybe a little bit calmer and with more strategies to not blow your lid quite as often. And if you don't, Good on you. Hello, Yara. Thank you so, so much for joining us back on the podcast. It's been too long. Your last, uh, I guess, interview or chat we had with you on the podcast went so well. It was all about mum guilt and identity issues once you become a mum. So we really wanted to get you back on. Um, How have you been since we last chatted? And for those who haven't listened to that, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yes. Um, Well, I've been... I've been good. It's a really weird question to answer. <laughs> Most people probably feel like that, like, how have I been? Um, it's been <laughs> Who a, am it's, I? <laughs> yeah. um, it's been a strange time, but I think as many of us are trying to do, making the best of the situation and the climate that we kind of find ourselves in. But, yes, I've been really, really busy with, we were talking just a bit earlier in terms of working with women and developing as many kind of resources and things like that that I can to help more people outside of my um, capacity to do one-on-one work. But a bit of background about me is that I am a psychologist in Perth and I have a business called Life After Birth Psychology and so I help mothers navigate their experiences of motherhood and some I do have some women who come during sort of that conception phase but mainly the women that I see are women who've had their children and who are going what the fuck is going on (laughs) and there are plenty of them out there (laughs) yeah exactly so it's mainly um women in that space and really I think the work that I really do with women is on trying to help them get a sense of what is meaningful for them 
as women and as mothers so that they can get the most out of their experience as mothers and throughout that entire journey. So that might mean looking at, you know, family of origin stuff. A lot of what we talk about in session is the system that we live within and, and kind of looking at influences from our society and culture that sort of shape how we think and feel as well. So yeah, that's a bit of what I do. Well, this episode, we're taking a slightly different turn and talking about mum rage, what it is, is it common and is it normal? Mm, yes. <laughs> so actually it's interesting because when we discussed talking about this, I remember because I've often called it like mum rage or mum anger or whatever, you know, if you talk about guilt, you talk about mum guilt. And the thing I actually just wanted to start off by saying is that the experience of anger or even rage is universal and everyone experiences this, you know, at various points in their lives. I think that the way that we call it mum rage or mum anger or whatever it might be can be problematic simply because it insinuates that there's an issue with mothers experiencing anger, you know, and I think that if anyone was in the sort of situation that mothers are in day in, day out in the society that we're in with the lack of support and the overwhelm that many of us experience, it would be impossible for anyone not to experience those feelings because our nervous systems are constantly in a sense, in a sort of um, space of overwhelm. And so I guess the first thing I want to say simply because I want people who are listening to understand is that your experience of anger in motherhood and as a mother and as a result of all of the pressures that you're under and potentially all the expectations that you feel is actually completely normal. So there is absolutely nothing Phew. wrong with that. You know? <laughs> <sighs> um, Jade paid you to say that before you came up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, Harry, think- listen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It is so normal. And look, I, um, you know, even in my own relationship with my husband, it's something that I'm constantly talking to him about, like, hey, dude, if you were in this, in this pressure system that I am in, you would be raging and feeling angry the way that I am and easily irritable and all the rest of it. And certainly, you know, we have periods along our journey, which we may be more easily triggered into anger because of, you know, what's happening. We might be in times of more um, stress and things like that, but it's normal. And I think, when we call it mum rage or mum anger, in a way I feel like it feeds into that narrative that mothers are not supposed to experience anger because we're supposed to be like, it's like we have these babies and we transcend who we were before and become these like saintly women who don't experience anything except pure joy at having children all the time. They're the best things (laughs) that have ever happened to us. How could we ever be angry? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like... One of the things I try and do is really talk about it like it's just anger. It's just anger. That's what it is. And you're feeling it for really good reasons, you know. And also I guess just to also talk about that in using the words anger and then using the word rage, I would think about rage as a more violent kind of expression of anger. And like that doesn't an necessarily I think it's more the intensity of it. So it's really ex- expressing the intensity. And also I think that rage To me, I really think about that as more of an outward expression. So it's directed Mm. at people rather than anger that you might be feeling, but you may not necessarily be expressing and it may not be outwardly towards somebody else. That's kind of the way that I would talk about that. Well, Soph and I had a bit of a discussion about um, mum rage and if either of us have it before we uh, came on here. And I, without a (laughs) doubt, have mum rage and you just explaining that. Like the way I release sometimes is I have to swear and I sometimes swear at my children. 
I don't tell them to fuck off, so to speak, but Mm. I will say, oh, my fucking God. Like, and that (laughs) is me getting to a point of rage where I can't internalize. I have to let it out. Yes, there should be some tools I could use, but this is just how I roll. And so what about you? Well, I was like, I didn't want to admit it because I feel like it's saying (laughs) that like, you're pregnant and you never vomited or like you orgasmed when you gave birth. Like it's not, it's frowned upon in society. Like I don't think I experience mum rage in the way that maybe it is stereotypically, like I'm just not really a shouter in general. Like I I don't shout Mm. at my husband. I don't shout at my kids and that is not to say that I'm a better partner or a better yeah I just let it all out on Jay (laughs) but that is not to say that like I'm a better mum or a better partner than someone who does shout but like even though we're joking about me shouting at Jade like I've never been someone who when I've been in a fight with a friend I've shouted that's just not Mm. really the way that I let off steam or I express myself but when you talk about mum anger oh my god there are sometimes days weeks that that underlying feeling is kind of bubbling away Mm. And I think maybe I deal with it by like walking away from the situation or just being like mum needs space now. Yeah. (laughs) And so but I still think it's something that I would like strategies with even if it doesn't lead to the outcome of me shouting. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to understand as well is that everybody experiences and expresses anger in different ways and and the other thing to note is that some of us have had more healthy role modeling around how to express anger than others so I'm someone who did not have that like I grew up in a household where anger was the biggest emotion that was visible for us and so there wasn't very good role modeling around how to express anger in a way that wasn't necessarily damaging to other people you know so for me my own journey is probably more I totally relate to that like going oh for fuck's sake like mm. you know, I totally relate to that let me just say I mutter that under my voice about 45 times a day 45 yeah, yeah, times yeah. before <laughs> breakfast is done but it's like there a, is something uh, about there is something about saying it out loud that actually oh helps. yeah yes yeah. Like whether it's in a cupboard or a pantry or directly in front of your family, it helps. Yes. But Yara, what you say about your upbringing, that that's the way that emotions maybe were modelled. Like I definitely didn't come from a shouty household, but that doesn't mean that every emotion was dealt with well. Like sometimes I think letting out a shout, (laughs) at least the people around you know how you felt about that situation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And actually that what you're talking about there is really important to know as well, in in particular in relationship to anger, because what we know about anger is that when we suppress anger, it actually has a lot of tangible impacts on our health, both physically and mentally. So there's actually a lot of research that um, shows that when you suppress anger, there's like you can have Mm -hmm. greater likelihood of like heart attacks and other sorts of problems in your body because essentially part of that is also that it builds inflammation in the body. So it's actually quite amazing how, and it's not just for anger, it's actually suppression of all emotions. So, you know, there's research, there's a lot of research that talks about the relationship between anger and like postnatal depression depression, for example. But what they do find in, in a lot of that research is that it's the suppression of anger actually that is more strongly related to that. So it's to do with the internalizing of that and not mm. actually being able to get it out. 
And, you know, what you're talking about there, that vocalisation of getting it out, that is one way of getting it out. You you're know? basically a health guru, Jack. Yeah, look, I, I wasn't going to say too much, but if we're here now talking about it. But what I do want to say is that I feel like a mum rage turns into mum guilt, which then forces me to recorrect myself and Mm. address what I have said in front of my children so they understand why. So I do always make a point that, yes, I will admit that I swear in front of my children or I'll say, pick up your fucking clothes. And then after I've calmed down, I will always say to them, hey, I'm really sorry that I swore or I was a bit intense. I shouldn't have acted out that way, but I was really frustrated because you don't fucking pick up your fucking clothes. (laughs) But as long as they understand that, like I just, I always want to make sure that they understand that I'm coming back around. Mm, And we will go into later how we deal Mm. with that repairing, following the rage. But before we get properly into it, we were saying that it was interesting to look at the questions that were sent in Mm. from parents Mm. that when I think of mum rage, to me, that's like, oh, your kids are being little shits, your fuse is over, (laughs) you have mum rage. But actually half of the questions were related to mum rage towards kids and half Mm. of the questions were related towards, I guess, partner rage, like your rage towards your partner. So we will kind of split this up into, because there was a lot of themes of resentment that was coming in or lack of kind of understanding from a partner as Mm. to why your emotions are so different once you become a parent. So let's start off with more targeted towards kids. You know, the thing about anger to understand is that anger can be like a primary emotion. So, you know, if we you know, for example, I'm going to talk about Black Lives Matter. So we see things that are happening in regards to that and we feel anger because we are seeing some wrong that is happening, right? We have yeah. outrage about that. So we can experience it as a primary emotion. But often when we're talking about the anger that we experience as mothers, it's often a secondary emotion, which means it's something that we see on top, which is actually underneath that. There's a whole range of other things that come underneath that. So often we might <laughs> talk about it as the iceberg analogy. So what's mm. above the water is we're seeing the anger, but what's beneath that is a whole range of unmet needs that have actually happened. And so even when you, you made me think about this because you were talking about when you were considering anger towards children because you're like, oh man, they're being so difficult or whatever. Often what it is is that it's not even necessarily as a secondary emotion in that context, it's not necessarily what the kids are doing, but it's that we're so depleted because all of these needs beneath the water have gone unmet that we don't have the resources available to deal with what's happening in that moment in any other way. And so when you think about it in that way, it doesn't actually matter who it is because yeah. you're depleted. Yeah. You're in a state yeah. I of love that, that iceberg you know? mentality. So it can be mother-in-law yeah. rage. It, it doesn't be. matter who it is, right? And that's but the I, thing that's so hard about, like obviously it is a primary emotion mm. is devastating as well, but I think the thing that's so hard about it as a secondary emotion is often afterwards you feel so ridiculous because the thing that's tipped you over is not necessarily major. So, you know, it could be, yeah, they've left their clothes on the floor. And then so it's so easy for someone externally to the situation or for the child themselves to be like, it's not a big deal, get over it. But that's just being, yeah, that the tip of the iceberg that sent you over. 
which makes it harder because then you come out of it and you're like fuck I'm a like why did I get so angry about that that's nothing and and but I think though also when we look at it from that perspective of what's beneath it so what's the meaning that we're making here like what are the needs that have gone unmet that have gotten us to the point where our nervous system is so depleted or it's already in you know the baseline of our nervous system is that we're already in this sort of sympathetic arousal which is like moving into that fight or flight it allows us to actually go oh I'm not a bad person you know like so in terms of that thing of guilt it's like there's actually some things that I have maybe not attended to or that I have not noticed that we're going unmet that I need to actually tend to and then it gives us that space to actually come up with like an action plan like this is something I did for myself actually a week ago it's funny when you guys asked me to talk about <laughs> you're like hang on a minute I was like I'm actually kind of in a bit of might just deal with right some now. shit first and then I'll come <laughs> chat with you yeah yeah so, so what were like, things you know, that you had to do if you don't mind sharing like like what was tipping you over and then what were some practical things that mm. helped because it can be easy to say like oh you know tap into your resources more or ask for help more but like what does that look like day to day yeah so for me what that looked like was I was not moving enough so there's a a couple of like core needs that you know I would talk to my clients about about and that might be like sleep making sure you have nutrition and that you've got movement that kind of stuff right and so one of my big ones was I wasn't getting enough sleep I wasn't moving my body so I was I normally exercise quite a bit and then I took a break over Christmas and then came back and the whole thing had fallen apart because I'd gotten out of the routine Lost that habit, so it was yeah. like those exactly and so it was like going back to those basics and going mm. what can I do there but then it was also um there was a bit of like taking my own kind of medicine as well in terms of like so in my personal life my husband at the moment in his business has just launched this really massive restaurant brewery here in WA which has gone really well but it has put an incredible amount of stress on us as a family unit because he has been like basically 24-7 living, sleeping, breathing, everything that venue um, which is what you need to do when that first happens but I was still trying to operate in my daily life as though I had his support Yeah, yeah. so I was still engaging in whether that was in my business or in other areas of my life as though I had that. And I was, it took me to get to the point where I was like in this, you know, rage space that I was just like, what is going on here? So then I did this thing where I started to look at what's all the stuff that's beneath the water here. That was one of the really big things. It was like, I had to actually go, no, Yara, you have to actually let go of that standard that you were trying, that you're trying to operate on because you're in a different period at the moment, which is that you don't actually have that support you are under a little bit more stress. So you're going to have to drop some of those standards on like parenting, on your business or whatever it might be. Or so outsource you, more. That's right. Or exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it was like sometimes when we're in it, we're so close to everything that's happening that it's really hard to do that. And so we do need to take a moment when we're not, you know, like triggered or when we're not actually in that anger space or when we do have some moment when our kids are in bed or whatever and sit down and actually like I write this stuff out and I make a plan and everything because I'm very visual like that but it also helps just to get it out and I had to actually look at it and go oh okay you know and that can be really hard when there are things that you want to do in your life and for me like I just want to run and like just go through and just do this and do that and blah 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 and I want to be like that and it's like actually no that this is a different phase right now like in this phase I don't have that support in you know less than a month's time I will have that support again and so I can go back into that space but you need to pull back here you know so it's sometimes just 
being able to do things like that. Other things is that I've gotten back into my breath work. So breath is like a major thing and it's a major component of what I do in my therapy as well is helping people learn how to be more present with their breath so that they can regulate their nervous system as a baseline um, much better. And so I've gotten back into that. I'm doing a practice at the moment for 21 days, which is around resetting that as well. So I think that's the kind of stuff that I would, you know, talk about in terms of that's the background stuff that we need to do to get us to a better baseline. But then in the moment, there are obviously things that we can do when we're getting, you know, triggered and stuff. I think the reassessment is so important. I think especially Mm. in that like first year of your baby or subsequent baby's life is I think it's so easy. Like when they're a newborn, they sleep a certain amount during the day. So you can Mm. do this, this and this. And then like not saying that the newborn period is easy in any stretch, but I feel like in the first year I would get so hard on myself because I'd be like, how are you not juggling all these things anymore? And then I would sit down and think about it and I'd be like, oh, well, Goldie's crawling now. So like when she's awake, she requires more attention and supervision. And and I think it's so easy to go like, oh, but last week I was able to do all these things, whether that be, you know, a partner suddenly working more or your child's more mobile or just that constant reassessment of like, okay, these are the things I want to do this is the help that I maybe can get and then just like changing the expectations based around those things yeah and I also change the um way I think about a situation and that's helped me immensely as well like if there is shit all over the house and the kids are just going absolutely mental and that is pretty much something that will tick me over the edge and I will lose it I have to remember that and I know it sounds silly but for me I could have a house that is empty with with no children, no one playing, and I could just have a really clean house. Where are my priorities? Like Mm -hmm. I want my children. I love my children. There has to be a balance of my life and I have to be okay with it. So we're at the stage now that two of them out of three can communicate. They can pack up their things. They can do these things. And now I'm trying to help myself by teaching them to do these things so we can all be happy because they don't want me Mm. screaming at them. But you know, if they just do it the first time that I ask, we wouldn't have this issue. And that very much doesn't happen. Yeah, no, it's, it's really hard. And it's also, you know, when we're talking, I think we talked quite a bit actually in that in our last chat around how often the distress that we experience is because our expectation doesn't meet reality. And I think that that is essentially what we're talking about here. And even when you're talking about, you know, you, you sounded like my own voice just then saying, <laughs> if they just did it the first time, it's like, <laughs> come on, guys, you know. And it's really funny because I think Because cleaning's so fun. You just ask them once and they're like, absolutely, <laughs> mummy. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, even as you were saying that, like, I know that I literally must think that like 10 times a day. But when I hear you say that, I hear what I say to my clients, which is that, you know, when we have young children, we can have expectations that don't actually meet their developmental ability. Like, Mm -hmm. and so it's so funny though, because I know that, but then 10 to 20 times a day, I'm like, (laughs) you know, like, come on. The amount of times (laughs) that I sit there and if people are over, I say, I reckon I've said it a million times, especially to my sister. I'm like, oh, it's developmental for sure. And like Yumi's like having a tantrum, throwing shit everywhere. I'm like, yeah. No one's listening to She's going through something. Exactly. And look, I think it's really good how you were talking about the way that you frame things because one of the things that keeps us in that anger or rage space is actually the stories we tell ourselves about what happens. So I notice in myself that 
when I'm able to remind myself that it's not what's happening in the moment, that it's something that's happening for me in terms of like, okay, I've got this unmet need or I'm really empty at the moment because this is what's happening or they're not giving me a hard time, they're having a hard time, whatever it is that's helpful that oh, I can I like normally. That one. Yeah, it's a really good one. I can normally shift myself out of that anger space, space easily. But if I start having thoughts like, oh, this is so unfair, no one ever listens to me, this is just the story of my life or blah, 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 and I start. They don't appreciate what I do, all the things I do for them. Exactly, and that is actually what keeps us there. So we have to be mindful and sometimes the first first step is really just noticing what are the thoughts, what are the Mm. stories that we tell ourselves when we are angry because the actual experience emotionally of anger is actually only very short how long it lasts but what keeps it going throughout a day or in a particular interaction is how we make meaning about what's going on in the moment and often the way we make meaning about what's going on has a connection that is more long-term to our history. Like, so for me, that story that I was just talking about there, that's the story that comes with me in lots of different areas of, of my life, you know? And so being able to identify that and go, oh, okay, hang on, there's that story, you know, like, or there's that narrative. I know that's actually something that's that I'm working on or whatever, that's nothing to do with what's happening now. Like my kids are three and five. No, they don't listen, you know, the first time. Like that's really normal. All the eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's a strategy. It's almost like a, oh, what's it called? Like you say, like an affirmation kind of thing. Do you, you yeah. say that to, like, so would it be, for an example, okay, you can feel yourself getting mad in a situation. So you say, what what was the thing again? They're not yeah, having, so they're, they're not, not giving they're me not, a hard time. They're having a hard time. Do you just kind of say that to yourself yeah, while absolutely. they're shitting you? Is that uh, like absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But the first thing that I would say to people is that the first step in managing anger, whether that's in the moment or or afterwards, is to regulate our nervous system, which is what I use breath for, for me. And oh my God, I had an, the other night I was putting my daughter to bed and she was like, she's been having these epic meltdowns at the end of the night because she's so tired because she's dropped her sleep and oh, yeah, school holidays is so intense. And so it's like dinner, she's like screaming and carrying on. She's falling asleep in the chair. Like it's like a full drama, right? At the moment. And then when it's time for bed, she's hungry and you're like, yeah, yeah. there was that thing called meal time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and doesn't want to go to sleep. And so on this particular, you know, I'd been working on my breath stuff for a few days and this particular night I was like, that's cool, I can handle it. And I really had no arousal in my nervous system hearing all of this and we were in bed and she's crying and I was just like listening and listening and then I just started to focus on my own breath, right? And then after a couple of minutes of crying, she stopped and started going (sighs) by herself and she would do like three and then be like, And then she would do some more breathing. And I was just like, what the hell? I'm like, I literally say to her all the time, do you want to breathe with me? And she's like, no, like loses her, right? And I was like, wow, like all of a sudden, it just turned on. So she it's just, not necessarily something you've taught her. It's something that she's seen you she's do. She's seen you do and, yeah. and she does it. But that's the power of doing this work for ourselves. We don't need to teach our children this. They see they what see we do. They see everything. And Billy actually does it as well with with me. She has high anxiety and she can get into a real uh, state where she can't calm down and she starts mm. like putting her hands over her face and all I need to do is say to her, I need you to calm down and take three 
deep breaths with me and I want you to do it. And there has never been a time that she hasn't done it with me. She stops, she breathes, even though she's crying, she does it. And Mm. then we do two more. And by five breaths, this whole thing has calmed down. She has, yeah, reset her nervous system. And we are a little bit more in a state of, you know, how we can handle whatever the hell happened between her or her sister or whatever. But now I can reason with her. Whereas before the breaths, there was nothing that was going to work. Good job, mama. Honestly, it's the power of the breath. So I work from a very trauma informed background. And so for me, it's really about everything that I do. I frame it from the perspective of what's happening in the body. Like how has your body learned to react to certain situations and how is your nervous system primed to respond to various things that you're experiencing? And so when we're talking about being angry, like getting ourselves back into what we might call ventral vagal space, which is like the green zone. So it's like where we are in a balanced state where we're not in the kind of primal part of our brain, which is what happens when we go into fight or flight. We become really <laughs> yeah. emotional. It's like we flip Rip our someone's head we off. Can't, <laughs> exactly. We can't reason. We can't see out of you know, right in front of our faces, which is why in the moment when we're angry, it feels so hard to pull ourselves up or to have this reasoning thing that I'm doing now about like, what's the narrative and blah, blah, blah. Like people are going, are you crazy? Like when I'm angry, I can't do that. And that's right. We can't do that when we're angry. So the first thing we need to do is regulate our nervous system. And I do that a lot through breath, but it can be done with movement. So the other night, actually, my husband and I, I was just, I just had so much anger and I was like picking a fight with him. And then I was just like, yeah, I, just I feel to like we've interviewed you at <laughs> the exact same time like you can't be on any pedestal you're like I have been yelling recently I have been angry and I was just picking this fight with him and then I was just like I knew exactly what I had to do, but you know when your ego, it was just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, but I just want to like, I just want to go in there. And I was like, that's nah, me the okay, day so- before my period starts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know every time I argue and yell, I yell and scream and scream. Well, no, I don't scream. I yell, and every time I do that, in my head, I'm in my head at that time. I'm like, that was way too far, Jade. You are so inappropriate. And then yeah. I just keep on doing it. But it feels so good letting it out. And my husband's yeah. like, oh, she's and then just if like, you stop, having a crazy like- moment. If you stop, it's like you're admitting. Yes, yeah, so I can't. Doing because I'm stubborn. Yeah. yeah. And then I yeah. come full circle again and yeah. go, sorry, babe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? That part of you that's saying, oh, you know, you're going too far. Whatever. That's like that's the high, <laughs> that's your higher self, right? And your ego is like, no, fuck that. Like I'm going in for the kill. Like it's just because it. when we feel angry. My ego wins every time. Yeah. When we feel angry, the thing about that is that even though it doesn't feel It doesn't feel good in the same way as like joyful kind of experiences feel good. They give us a sense of empowerment and in control, especially in motherhood where we can often feel that we don't have a lot of control and that we can feel quite powerless, right? So it really gives us this space where we feel like we have power and control. But of course, what we talked about earlier is, you know, what follows is that that feeling of guilt and that, you know, which is which is, it's fine because that's kind of like our inner compass is telling us like we did something that feels out of line with our values and, and who we want to be, right? And then the beauty is we've got repair. So we've got repair, everyone. If you've been raging at your kids, if you're angry, you know, repair is available which, and repair is profound. It, you know, it doesn't matter if you've spent the first seven years. I mean, obviously we hope not to do this, but if you have gotten <laughs> to the point where, you were like that because you've had this model to you or you didn't have coping strategies or whatever it is and you're listening to this, you know, chat right now and you're going, oh, shit, 
it's like I've screwed you, up my child. You yeah. can always repair and it doesn't matter. It's never too late to start to repair and to start to form connection and to strengthen attachment with our children or with others who are, you know, important to us in our lives. So really want to put that in there because I don't want people to be hearing this and going like, oh, my God, like there is so much that can be done with that, you know, even as an adult, you know, myself and with the women that I work with, you know, unfortunately what we often talk about is, you know, you may never get to hear what you want to hear from your parents for the mm. adult clients that, oh I, that I have, yeah. right? And that's just the reality of it. But if you're listening to this right now and you have a child or you've got a teenager or even someone that's older than that, Think about that and think how profound the repair can be, the apology and the acceptance of your own responsibility in that. You know, like it's profound and it can be really life-changing. So don't ever think that it's too late to make those changes. It's never too late. So I just really wanted to put that in there. And even when you have those little minor moments where you yell at your child and they get really upset because you've yelled at them, it happened to Billy and I in the car. She wasn't listening to put on her seatbelt. And Mm. after the fifth time, I really just like lost it. And I said, please put your seatbelt on. I am so sick of telling you. And she burst into tears and I had to calm down a little bit because I was just so over it. And I was, to be honest, I was at Bunnings trying to put a fucking chair in the back and it was so frustrating. It was raining. Someone went in the back of me. Anyway, long story short, yeah, that iceberg down below, it yeah, was yeah. filled, right? Yeah. And she was at the it tip. It was probably more the car accident than her not putting on her seatbelt. <laughs> and and poor Bill, she copped yeah. it. But yeah. the thing is with my children, they understand subconsciously or they understand that mum, when she does yell, there's going to be something where she apologises or she's going to explain why she is like that and I will mm. always do that, which helps. But, you know, when you have a toddler, and this is what I was going to say before, When I had them when they were 16 months apart and they were really young, the biggest thing that I taught myself was that it doesn't matter what I am doing like throughout the day at home cleaning or on the phone or emails, if my children cry or Mm. they're having something that needs tending to, in my mind I drop everything. And when I learnt how to drop everything no matter what because I put my children as a priority, Mm. it left me feeling more patient as a parent and not as frustrated. So if I heard them crying, like normally I'd go, oh, my God, I've just got to get this, this and this done. I Mm. just canned it and I just said, no, this is my priority and I have to address that. As soon as I did, there was no arguing, there was no me feeling frustrated, they go on happy and I would just continue with what I was I was doing. It took a few years yeah. but I, I, I got there and it, it definitely helped me so I don't know if that would help anyone else. Yeah, I, I love that and I think, you know, one of the things that you made me think of as you were saying that is this concept of the good enough mother as well, the mm. good enough parent and that thing about, you know, Although the goal is not to have expressions of anger that are going to be hurtful to the people around us, like we're only human and Mm. we need to have compassion for ourselves and for what happens. Like, And I think that if we are doing things like that and we're making repair and we're making plans or choices around how are we going to maybe respond more in line with how we want to parent and more in line with what we know is good for our children and that sort of thing, then we're doing things right. You know, in terms of this, the concept of the good enough parent, I can't remember what the figure is. It's something like 20 to 30% of the time attunement to our children is what some of the research, early research has found around that. So it's actually like the idea of, um, you know, Dr. Sophie Brock often talks about intensive mothering, this idea of like, 
we have to be the be all and end all for our for our children all the time, entertain them all the time, sacrifice for them all the time, all that kind of thing. It's not actually real. It's not actually true that we need to do that. I can't remember. I think it was similar to that, but I saw it was like your kids require three times a day, it was like less than 10 minutes of one-on-one attention to, Mm. I I don't know, you might be able to help me out there, but I was like, oh, my gosh, when you put it like that, it's so doable. Yeah, yeah, and I think really that that thing is probably like I talk a lot about special time and time spent in connection. And that's right. Like I think it's just the kids having an opportunity because that just really strengthens attachments. So that one-on-one time where there's no distractions, that you're not directing them, that you're not correcting them, all of that sort of stuff, it's really just about having time in connection with children and they don't need a lot of that. It just needs to be consistent. That's what that needs to be. And so similarly, like if you are repairing, like we want to, you know, what I would like to help women with is getting out of the cycle where they're in this constant repair, if it is like for anger or rage or whatever, like if people are finding themselves in that cycle, then there's probably some work that needs to be done there. So that isn't the cycle, right? So if you're repairing for different things, then that's a bit better because it's not (laughs) one, because obviously it's not one thing that is, you know, there's a trigger there. There's something that needs to be, you know, worked on there. But I guess I'm just saying this for people to know that, you know, we all make mistakes. We're all human. You know, the mistakes that we make as mothers are just scrutinised on a whole nother level because we're held up to this standard and this social expectation of being superhuman essentially in terms of being able to regulate ourselves, not having, you know, negative emotions, you know, and all this kind of crap, which is just a load of poo. So I think that, you know, we need to be self-compassionate with ourselves but also be aware of how we're sort of behaving, what are the things that we're keeping or that are below the the water that are feeding into our inability to regulate ourselves from moment to moment, you know, with our kids. But, you know, look, the job of being a mother, it's so intense and it requires Hmm. so much self-discipline, you know, and especially in the climate that we are in at the moment with this global pandemic, honestly, like we're all just doing the best that we can. And, Hmm. you know, people who might be listening to this or doing work that they're doing, just keep going (laughs) because you're doing the best that you can. And this is such an unprecedented time to be mothering in, to be, you know, birthing in, to be all of, all of what's happening in this space. So I think that everybody just needs to be patting themselves on the back and yeah, where you see that there's work to be done, just do the work, but be compassionate with yourselves and let's just keep going. Like that's kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I can be super hard on myself because I, basically 50-50 parent with my husband. We both Mm. kind of work 50-50, if not me, working a bit more than him now. Like the kitchen is his domain, cleaning up his, like it feels very shared. And I don't know if it's personality type, hormonal, underlying things that maybe even though that's the case, society maybe does put more pressure on me. But he is just like as much as I'm not a rager in any sense Mm. of the word now, like he is so much more calm with me. Basically like the kids have to be feral for it to even mildly flap him. And Mm. so, like even though that's so great to have that in a partner, sometimes I'm just like, 
oh, you know, on the outside of a situation, like that would rock me. Why has that not rocked him? And I think sometimes I even compare myself to my mum. Like my mum has three kids. Dad worked really, really hard when we were younger, wasn't around a lot. And I don't know, like sometimes I'm just like I have this husband that's so present, so hands-on. Like why mm. do I still sometimes find this so, so difficult? Mm. Because but it I is. guess because it is. Yeah. It is difficult. It's also because we're not all equal. So, you know, yeah. me and my brother have gone through the exact same upbringing but we're very different people. Yeah. Like the way that he deals with things are totally different to the way I deal with things. And the reasons why I believe that happens amongst us as, a, as people is one, because we have different kind of imprinting in our nervous system. So our baseline level of where that's resting is different amongst people but we will also have a preference for, for example, for me, like if I get wound up or triggered or whatever it definitely is like the fight or flight so I go into like anger or like really intense emotion but some people will go the other way and they'll go into freeze so they don't have the sympathetic activation they've got the parasympathetic activation Mm. that's the the rest and digest system so they slow down and they and they go into freeze or they're going to shut down you know that kind of thing yeah so it really just there are differences amongst people in how their nervous system respond and there are differences amongst people in terms of the stories that they tell themselves. Yeah. So what you say to yourself, like what the story is that runs in your mind will be very different to the story that runs in your husband's mind because you've had completely different life experiences. Mm. And that's I definitely, think also there's always that thing that like if I'm out by myself, people are like, oh, my God, that's so amazing that Nick has the kids for the morning. Like yeah, if yeah. he's out, no one's ever like to him, where are the kids? Oh, my God, that's so great that Sophie gave you the morning off. Like <laughs> yeah. aren't you so lucky? Lucky. Like surely that has to play into something. Yeah. It's so funny you so, say if that. Someone has to comment every time I'm by myself, like not being touched by another human. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Like my husband took the kids to swimming lessons this morning so that I'd have the house to myself. And when he left, I was like, oh, thanks. And then I just like stopped. Parenting your own like, children. Second, yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, hang on a second. Who takes them to swimming lessons every single week? I, like, I remember when Poppy this. was really young, we were on a plane and Nick got up to change her nappy and uh oldish woman near us said oh my gosh how lucky are you he seems like the greatest dad and I'm like you have seen him change one fucking nappy in a public (laughs) space like like I get it you're like you know times have changed I get it but if I got a pat on the back every time I changed a fucking nappy my head wouldn't be able to fit out this door how good would it feel though imagine getting praised just for doing what we do every day we'd feel amazing and maybe that's something that we you know need we need (laughs) encouragement maybe we just need to praise ourselves but maybe as mothers and and you know partners you're doing a really good job you did a great job today and I know it sounds so silly saying but if at the end of the day my husband turned to me and said hey I just want you to know that you did a really good job today I'd probably laugh and then go thank you because it boosts your ego and who maybe we just need maybe we just need to say it to ourselves though well yeah because instead of relying Jade, on others. you did a great job yeah. today. Look, I so, so agree with you. I think that we do need to say it to ourselves and we also need to, we, we need the, our culture to come more on board with valuing yep. what we do as mothers. And that includes picking us up when we're struggling with, yep. um, you know, regulating ourselves or, yeah. you know, or noticing or having other people notice 
that we need things as well. So yeah. it, it is a lot of work to be doing the job of parenting children, helping them navigate their own emotional landscape while doing that for ourselves, while healing our own inner child, while reparenting <laughs> ourselves, while, you know, while parenting our partners, while, you know, like there's a lot to do. Eating well, doing yeah. exercise. <laughs> it is like, it's intense. Yeah. How do you know when you sort of need help and something's not right? Yeah. I think that if one of the first things is that if you're noticing that you're starting to have thoughts and feelings that are congruent, that aren't positive. So in terms of like, if you're feeling angry and really agitated and you're in that, not just angry, but in that rage space and you're starting to think about potentially hurting yourself or hurting other people, that's a really big signal. So definitely it's time to get help for that. But I also think that if you find that your mood is being affected, so if you're actually just really low and flat and upset and if it's lasting like, so when we talk about depression, we often talk about over a two-week period. So most days over a two-week period that you're in that space, whether that's that you're feeling really angry and that that's leading to these feelings of sadness and you know grief and that sort of stuff, if you're feeling like that and it's lasting for that period of time, it's time to go and, and seek help. But the other thing is also just that if you're noticing that you are struggling to actually stop in the moment when you're getting angry and that that is like a, if you're finding yourself in a cycle where that is really difficult for you to break. And I think also that people who are around you start to notice that as well and, and hopefully that they are saying that to you as well and letting you know. So in Australia, you can do a mental health check at any time with your doctor. You have to book a double appointment mm. and they will sit there and ask exactly those questions in the last two weeks. Have you felt more like this, this, and this? And then they can get a really good indication whether you are in a more depressed state rather yeah. than, you know. And look, I've had many of those just to see where I'm at. And sometimes that makes them go, okay, well, we need to act on this or we have to act on that. And it's a really nice well, it's a really good thing for me to know that I have that resource because I feel less alone knowing yeah. that someone's there to go, okay, we need to do something about this. Yeah. Um, you can also contact PANDA, which is the perinatal and uh, anxiety and depression sort of non-for-profit here in Australia. And I'm not sure what they might be in other places in the world, but here in Australia, you can contact them and they do have counselling services. So you can speak to someone about that. If you need, there's also Lifeline if you need to go there. And possibly on Panda, they may actually, I'm pretty sure that they actually have some questionnaires and things that you can self-administer so that you can kind of get a sense of where you're sitting in terms of if you're starting to wonder if depression or anything like that is an issue there. But look, what I want to say is that anger and the relationship with depression isn't, it doesn't mean that you're depressed, that you'll have postnatal depression. Those two mm. things exist as separate entities. It's just that we do see that there is some association there. So it might be that you're not depressed. It may just be that you're really struggling to manage your anger because you haven't had any good modelling of that. And sometimes we need outside help to learn those skills and that's definitely available. So whether that's in terms of a therapist or some other kind of professional in that space that can offer that, um, those things are there and there's no shame in asking for help and that earlier you ask for help, the better for you, for your children and for your family. So, you know, I know that saying that is one thing and actually feeling like that you can let go of any shame or whatever to be able to step into that is it's much harder, but I really want people to understand that the earlier that you get help, the better it is. And if it makes it feel any better when we put up the question sticker about questions about mum rage, 
uh, it would probably want be one of the most responded to question boxes mm. we have ever done. You are not alone and lots of people even not even having questions but just saying thank you for discussing this because I feel like I'm a terrible mother or partner because I have these feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'd love to also just going back to where you were saying, what do you do in the moment? So in Mm. the moment, I did start off by saying, so regulating yourself. So when we are in a space of feeling anger and rage, what that means is that our nervous system is aroused in the fight or flight. So our sympathetic nervous system, which means it's upregulated. So when we want to regulate ourselves, it means we need to downregulate. We need to bring down the nervous system. And so that's why breath work is really good. When we do breath work, what actually activates the parasympathetic side is the out breath. So the slower that we breathe out, the more rest and digest we bring into our nervous system. So the more activation of that space. So that's really important to know because we don't want people like hyperventilating and things like that because that actually makes it worse. So that upregulates us instead. So we want to really slow down the breath. When we do breath work stuff, we want to really inhale. So we're feeling like the air is going straight into our stomach. And then once that feels full, we want to fill up the rest of our chest before we do our slow breath out. So a count of about four breaths minimum on the out breath is what we really need to start feeling that and that we should start feeling a down regulation after a number of cycles of that. So even if that's the first thing that you do, you might need to take yourself outside and leave the scene if that's what you need to do to be able to do that. That's great. Other things that can be down regulating may also be Um, like slow movement and things. So whether some people might like to do, you know, if you're a yoga person that you might like to do that or you might like to just move, you know, a bit more slowly outside or whatever. Sometimes what we actually I'm just imagining my kids being like, oh, we've pissed her off again. She's in downward (laughs) dog. (laughs) We've gone too far. She's back in tree pose. (laughs) And if that works for you, I'm not laughing at you, but I'm just imagining this situation where my kids have thrown their food on the ground again and I'm just like three-legged dog. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And look, that's why breath is so good because you can do it in any situation and it's quite covert right? Like people can't really tell that you're doing it. And the wonderful thing is, like I said, that story about my daughter is that they see that and then they start using it. My son says to me, he goes to school that's really into like breath and all this sort of stuff. And when I get angry, he's just like, mum, you're not doing your breathing. You've got to do your grounding, remember? And he starts stomping his feet and he's like, then you've got to pat your tummy. And then he's like... And he like walks me through the whole thing. It's funny because he never uses it when he's angry, but he knows what to do, right? (laughs) They're good at dishing out advice. They're like us. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I think making sure that we do regulate ourselves is important. The other thing is that sometimes we do actually need to express the anger that is in our system. So when we, like I was talking before about that repressed emotion thing, it's not great for us. And being held in our system means that also the next time something happens, we're already at a certain level that's, we're not at a baseline baseline anymore. We're already a little bit aroused. So for me, the other day when I a had that aroused. day. A bit aroused. Wow. Not in a great way. But, you know, the other day when I was talking about Anger when sex. I had that, <laughs> that interaction with my husband, I needed to just rage out. So I was in my bedroom and I had my pillows and I was punching my pillows and I was like, and I was roaring into into my pillow because this was in the night. I was trying not to wake my kids, you know. And he just like left because he could see the vibe and he was like, "See ya." And I was like, "Right," (laughs) you know. And like the thing is, is that I did that for a while. And the way I do it is, I do some movement in that 
that way and then I stop and I breathe and I just feel like okay is there anything left and then I do it again and that's how I do it so I just come back and center each time on the breath and I'm like is there anything left yes or no and then I was able to just fall asleep after that I love I didn't that even you're think exhausted about it. yeah <laughs> it's just- I have learnt especially with anxiety or whatever Mm. emotion that I have is sometimes breathing can be very distracting for me when I'm anxious. So I, I lose focus and Mm. we had someone on who was brilliant who told us about the tapping solution. So they incorporate, or you can explain probably better than I, how important. And that even when I'm having a panic attack at night has made me go into a deep sleep. It's incredible. Yeah. Do you know what? I have to tell you that the tapping is actually really new to me. I haven't done a lot of this. This is something I've just become it's good. Ex- exposed to. What? How was your experience of that? So the grief expert that we had on our podcast was telling us that there was a really good way of dealing with anxiety and panic and any sort of stressful situation. And she mentioned that there was an app and I went away and downloaded this app. And there are a few people that talk to you. They talk so you can sort of get educated and then you can do it yourself anywhere. Mm, yeah. Now you can tap on your side of your hand, the temple. It's. I, I just feel like when you're focusing on having to physically do something as well as mentally, it mm. makes you calm down a lot faster. Whereas when I am anxious and I'm someone's telling me to breathe, mm. I'm still thinking about why I have to breathe because I've got to panic about it and I I can't calm down. Whereas this is giving you another job to do. So it's more like the sensation itself can bring your nervous system down as well as your mind. And it has just completely changed. I haven't done it for a while because I'm in a fantastic state at the moment. She's coming to 2022. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I can't hang out with her anymore. I'm out of control. No, you're too Too in control. It's fucked. (laughs) Too zen. But we can link that app as well in the show notes. All right, now we're going to move on to the partner side of thing. I feel yes. like there's going to be a lot of overlap because I feel like the partner resentment and rage can sometimes be the underwater iceberg or the tip of the iceberg. Mm, yeah. But this was a quote that someone sent in and I feel like they're probably not alone. Ever since having my son, I cannot stand my husband touching me. Instant rage for the past four years. Mm. What do you say? Oh, there's so much there to unpack and to have a a look at. But the first thing that makes me think about is the being touched out, which is a really normal thing. And I remember that so clearly from the early part of my first time becoming a mother. And I was just like, nobody touched me, like just piss off. Like, so I totally get that. I would say that if this has been going on for that long amount of time, that there's probably bigger issues in the relationship itself and because that's a long time, like for four years to be doing that. One of the other things that we know about like relationships and about when people enter therapy is that often people, it can take people eight years of suffering in a relationship before they actually enter therapy. Shit. So, yeah, it's and and what that also means is that the success for therapy then isn't necessarily very good. Mm. So for for anyone who's who's in a relationship where they have been struggling for that amount of time, whether that's in parenthood or otherwise, I would certainly encourage them to go and do um, some therapy. There, without knowing more about like what yeah. what else is going on yeah. in in the space, it's hard to say. I think that one of the things this is kind of 
getting off, well, maybe getting off the rage thing a little bit, but one of the things that I talk to people about a lot is also about, you know, as as a female, when we when we, and not just as a female, as anyone that is in relationship, we want to feel that we have the, that we can rely on the support of the other person in our relationship. The nature of being a mother for many people is that even if they have a fairly egalitarian relationship up until the point where they become mothers, that once they enter motherhood, that that can change quite drastically. And that what that can mean is that we can end up being responsible for a lot of things and the role that we take as a woman in that relationship can become quite a more traditional kind of role than what we may have experienced up until that point. So that can be really challenging. And when we don't feel safe as a woman that our partner has got our back, right, it makes it really hard for us to soften into relationship. So that's something that I would put in there as a thing to consider. So, and when I talk about that, often I talk about this concept of the feminine and the masculine, and that is not necessarily as a female and a male, that's actually energy that we all have irrespective of whether we identify as male or female. But the, the role that we do as mothers is can be quite a masculine role in terms of there's lots of logistics, there's lots of self-control, there's lots of planning and detail and things like that. And so if we are in a relationship where we feel like we're taking an incredible amount of that energy and we're doing a lot of masculine, masculine, and then our partners come in their masculine energy needing us to be in our feminine, it can be really hard to mm. do that. So allowing and feeling okay about someone touching you and stuff if you don't feel that they've got your back, if that makes yeah. sense. I hope that's clear for yeah. people to understand. The other thing is that I think that as women when we enter motherhood, I feel like it opens many of our, for many of us, it opens our eyes to the oppression that I think many of us have experienced but maybe didn't realise until we became mothers, as, as women I mean. And certainly as mothers we start to see the world with different eyes and we start to see all the ways that we are unfairly treated in our society and potentially in our relationship and families. And I think that that builds a lot of resentment and I think that's one of the core things that is in the water underneath the anger that we see in motherhood is that our eyes are open and we start to be like, are you serious? Mm. Are you serious? Like what the hell? And so I think that in relationship, if our relationship is one where where there's a fair amount of that imbalance and of us being able to see a reflection of our patriarchal society maybe within our relationship that it's no wonder that women feel resentful in their relationships as well and so there does need to be communication so that that dynamic can shift within the relationship which is why I'm saying that if this woman or other people are going four years still feeling like I don't want you to touch me piss off then there's a bigger issue there around you know what's happening within the relationship so I hope that provides that was incredible clarity yeah it definitely does like in, in, you know, when we're talking about partner interactions and the anger that is there, I know from myself and from many of the women that I speak to that that issue of like what, what some people will call like the mother wound, which is like this opening up of our eyes and understanding about the impact of kind of the patriarchal society yeah. that we've been in and how limiting that is for us as women and especially as mothers, that it builds resentment in us because 
because we have our we may have had our own aspirations and goals or want to get back into this or whatever and we feel so limited and that can be so frustrating and I feel like before like nowadays in the generation that we're in before you become a mother you are now sold the dream that like you know any job you want to do basically you can do it you can do it you can have it all and then you become a mother and whether it's that you actually can't do it all all at once anymore or you you know, take to motherhood and you actually don't want to do it anymore, you suddenly realise that it's like, yeah, it's all well and good that you tell me I can do it all, but I can only do it all if I don't have kids or I can only do it all if I have a partner that doesn't work or or like whatever it is. And, And suddenly I do think it opens your eyes to it's like it's really easy to preach and say that we can do it all, but does someone want to let us know how we can do that? And on the topic of dads um and raging, there are some that take it out on objects and get overwhelmed. How can we help diffuse or de-escalate these situations? Look, it's exactly the same thing, like in terms of the way that I, like as we're all humans, so the way that our body responds and what is happening within our physiology when we become angry is the same for everyone. So that's like, so the first thing is regulating ourselves. The next thing would be doing repair with people that we may have hurt and that means taking responsibility for the role that we have played there, not, and, and also not shaming our children in terms of how we explain what how we've got angry. So for me, I actually just did a, a little reel on it on my page if anyone wants to have a look, but for me it's like, you know, I'm sorry, you know, that wasn't your fault and I'll do better next time and I love you. Those are the four, to me, the non-negotiables and what needs to be in the repair. I really love also using things like drawing with my kids, like so we you know, I've got a picture over there somewhere where like they drew me how I looked to them when I was angry the other day and I drew how I felt as well and we had a great conversation about that. Oh, wow, that's confronting. Good on you for doing it, that. It I would really, be so you should, scared. Yeah, you should have a check out uh, the reel on my page because yeah, it's on that and it actually is. It looks like a monster. <laughs> Don't you think that throwing things, though, is like having an adult tantrum? Yeah, it is. And it's also the other thing is that if that's with your children, that can be really frightening to them because they are small and we are big and we are their whole world. Especially a man though. Like a male throwing something would be quite confronting. Absolutely. And I think that if you're getting to the point where you're doing things like that, and I have to to preface this by saying I have done that before. Hmm. So on this very wall behind me, I threw a Yeah, you've got a bit of a chip there, I can see, (laughs) on the right. Yeah, like, you know, I remember. Yeah, exactly. Like, like throwing a plate of pasta one day because my son was just being him. He was being, you know, a normal toddler with dinner and I just lost it because I was, you know, exactly. But that is a very rare occurrence. That's probably happened twice in the nearly six years that I've been a mother. So if you are throwing things as a regular thing, um, or you have the urge to do that, I think that that says that you need help. So dads need help too. And similarly for dads as well, that there is a connection there for mood disorders as well. And when I say disorders, I really don't like the word disorders because all of these things have a root in what's happened in our past, how we've learned how to deal with challenges, how we whether we express or internalise our experiences. 
but that's the kind of the terminology that we use in psychology. But certainly there is that association. I've got a couple of questions that kind of tie into one with resentment. Like one is yeah. how to cope with the huge identity crisis of becoming a mum. I mean, I think we we touched on that quite a fair bit in our last chat, but, you know, the resentment you feel when you don't feel like your partner has gone through any change. And similarly to that, a feeling resentment towards your partner that they still have their own time. Mm. But, you know, when it's your chance to leave the baby, you can't leave or you don't feel like you have time. How can we deal with those feelings of resentment? Yeah. And I think that if we look at the underlying needs of that, so one of those really clearly articulates that it's the sense of having time for self. It goes back to that and it also goes back to the need for boundaries and the need for freedom of expression. So being able to communicate with our partners what our needs are very clearly and having boundaries about that. So it's not a case of like, oh, if you find time, I need to have time to myself. It's actually no, I need time to myself and it's a non-negotiable. And we will find time. And then looking at, that's right. And also that's like kids. Don't ask, like my husband always says, hey, girls, do you want to come with me to the shops? No, you mm. tell them they're getting in the car yeah. and coming to the shops. Don't give yeah, them an option, that's right. but give me an option. Don't yeah. say that to me. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's like it's a non-negotiable. So whether that's like, you know, on a regular occurrence once a week that your partner takes the kids on a certain day or that you go out or whatever it might be, like that's really I think that, you know, one of the I just did a post today where I was talking about like, it's easier sometimes to be angry at other people than to do the work that we need to do. So doing things like having the hard conversations with our partners and setting boundaries where we need to, because we're worried about what the fallout will be. And as women, I think that's the legacy of the patriarchal kind of space that we live in of trying to be the good girl and trying to be the good woman and the good mother, like trying to please everyone. Not be but a nagger, day, don't be exactly. demanding. But if yeah. you want to please everyone, then you better be prepared to disappoint yourself then and then live with that resentment because that's Well said. That is coming truth. to you know a what quote I mean? like, on the podcast. <laughs> that's yeah. coming to oh, a near you. <laughs> yeah. And it's like it's the truth though, like, you know, if you want change, you have to do something different. So have a look at what are the needs that are underlying. If it's like, I feel suffocated, I feel like I don't have time for myself, I don't have time to connect with the things that are meaningful for my identity, well, then make a list of what the things are that are, you know, important for your identity that are actually realistic in terms of that you're going to be able to achieve them depending on what stage of motherhood that you're in. Whether You know, if you've got a newborn, then that's going to look different to if you've got toddlers or if you've got teens or whatever. Yeah. And then have those hard communications and set the boundaries. Like that's as easy and as hard as it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I know that it's easy to say and it's another thing to do this thing. You know, one of the things that I work a lot with women in is going, okay, so we've got all the info. We know about what's influenced your life. We know about, you know, all these crappy expectations and stuff. But now that you know about them, you have to do something mm-hmm. about that. You can't just yeah. be angry at everyone and not actually do the things, you know, like you've got to take the medicine. Because this was literally a quote that came in, how do I stop hating my husband for being completely useless? And it breaks my heart that there's partners out there that just get away with being fucking useless. Yes. And I think, you know, like one of the other things that I, you know, I often hear people talk about, and I have had this thought myself about like my my husband is like an extra child. And Although we that that's one way of looking at it, but we can also look at it as how are you being the mother in that situation? Yes. 
So you're ta- so how yes. are you taking the role of the mother in that situation and not allowing your husband mm-hmm. to fall on his face or to make mistakes or to have you know, no clean clothes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like what are you doing that's allowing that system to perpetuate itself? Like, and I really, I, when I say this, I say this with as much love as possible yeah. because I don't want people to think that I'm saying this and just being a hard ass on mothers. But at the end of the day, there are all these shitty things that happen and it's it's our job to like do the work to figure all that out and then to untie ourselves from that as well. You know, like we must take responsibility for the changes that we have to make in our lives in order to live better lives as well. And as hard as it can be to do that in that moment and my goodness, it has taken me a lot of strength to have a confrontation with, you know, people and situations the past year but as absolutely I was scared shitless in times that I've done it I've got to tell you Mm. the way you feel like you live with yourself every day you are with you all the time if you can do something that's so terrifying and come out the other side it is like lifting bricks off your chest so you have a family you have a partner have those hard conversations because you at the end of the day are going to feel a hell of a lot better out of it and you deserve it a hundred percent and I love to think of it as you know, because I do a lot of work around family of origin and inner child. So, you know, will you choose to abandon yourself today or will you do the hard work that people maybe didn't do for you in the past? Like will you choose to mother yourself, to reparent yourself Another or will quote. you continue, you know? We're getting you back on for a whole other chat about that because I think that is <laughs> yeah. fascinating. But thank you so, so much no for worries. joining us this morning. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've just, I love chatting with you guys. We so love anytime. you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.